This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row studios in the crap part of Soho, am I loft in the crap part of West Hollywood, Rog? It's the Men in Blazers podcast. You're listening to Ranch and Dabo Show! Ranch and Dabo! Ah, pod save... The Queen. Well, from the feedback you guys have poured in, you seem to like, and I'm not sensitive about this, Davo, you GFOPs seem to like Ranch and Davo far more than you ever did Roger and Davo. <laughs> they're much better on television. I think that I d- they're for, actually they're better at podding as well. And from the photoshops that you have sent to us, your imaginary yeah. Ranch and Davo are soccer-loving, crime-fighting alter egos. All I can say is they seem to have a lot more hair than we do. <laughs> Good. The hair of our dreams, yeah, without a doubt. You seem to picture us like an English-speaking Starsky and Hutch. De- Davo obviously being the good-looking blonde one, David Solo, Owen Wilson. Me being the swarthy, Semitic-looking Starsky, which I will take. I always had to be Hutch when I was a kid, when I played Starsky and Hutch with Ben Rumney. And I never wanted to be Hutch. I always wanted to be Starsky. <sighs> Why is that? Because I think we've spoken about this before on the pod. David Solo was just so boring in that role. <sighs> blonde? No one wanted him. Blue, honestly. I don't think so. Starsky just looked... Not even down south. Starsky just looked like a a good accountant, then. (laughs) Yeah, but he was exciting. He was dynamic. He was funny. Oh, he was Jewish. Happy (laughs) birthday, Dabo. Yeah, thank you. Did you get your cheeks done for your birthday? Because somehow you look even younger. No, I had had the right one done this year. I had the left one done for my 50th. For my 51st, I went in with the right cheek. How was Um, it? How was it? Oh, another great birthday, Rog. I didn't go multi-continents this year. I just went... Bit of a New York uh, celebration, bit of a Los Angeles celebration. The highlight, Rog, was uh, the night before my birthday, into my birthday, I went and saw Sheryl Crow play at the Troubadour. Yeah, I've never been a huge Sheryl Crow fan. Sheryl Crow is still going. She is Sheryl like, Crow she's is at, back. She's at like the Gareth McCauley of pop. <laughs> it's she, sort she's of so sp- old, it all but she keeps going and she's got angular cheeks. They are the same <laughs> person. She's looking good, actually. She's, so she, uh, it all started for her at the Troubadour. And she was, uh, she was playing at the Troubadour again, which is this tiny little music venue at the end of Santa Monica Boulevard, at the end of Hollywood, just before you go to Beverly Hills. It was an amazing show, packed, sold out, uh, played all the hits. She had so many hits, Rog. First Cut is the Deepest, All I Want to Do Stevens. is Have Some Fun, all the, st- all the stuff. But the biggest moment for me, yep. and I was sort of like, uh, I was sort of stunned. I stopped. I stopped dancing for a minute, Rog. I stopped singing along. Hang on, you were up on your feet for this. Oh, I was up on my feet. I was going for it. I was being transported over people's heads in the crowd. I was surfing the crowd. Oh. I was really into it. Did you have a beer buzz in the morning? More than a beer buzz. It was, it was a fairly severe tequila buzz. The, we need a tequila sponsor, by the way. Note to, uh, n- note to us. Oh, the Talisker. Single malt <laughs> scotch. Go on. But when she started playing... If it makes you happy, then why the hell are you so sad? I was just immediately stunned into silence, into sort of nothingness. The sort of it's like one of those dream sequences in a movie where sort of everything sort of peeled away from me why? and everything went close. Why? And it was just Rog, you were completely revealed to me <laughs> at that moment. That song <laughs> is just you all over. It is either about you which freaks me out a little bit, how Sheryl Crow wrote that song about you. Or what might freak me out a little bit more, it's written about someone just like you, 
which means that I would have to accept that there is someone in the world just like there is another Rog. That's so, if it makes you happy, yeah. then why the hell are you so sad? Uh, obviously, because obviously happiness is a privilege, and I don't believe in privilege, David. Yeah. But, wow, the only song I know to, to my knowledge, 100%, that's been written about me is, yeah. uh, is Carly Simon's You're So Vape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've only got Tony Basil's Hey Mickey, You're So Fine. That's uh, it. That's I, the only one I've got. Uh, but I think the only song that, that Cheryl Crow Gareth McCauley has written about me is, uh, is Can't Cry Anymore. That that oh. was uh, that was I think um, Cheryl and I watched uh, watched Everton play Liverpool <laughs> the in the semi final together FA Cup semi final and uh, and that's what she wrote in a pie and I love that you thought about me as you were being crowd surfed around the troubadour at your peak Davo happiness I'm very very touched just one reason out of millions that I want to toast you my partner in pod and life so quick minded creative so damn sexy let's put it all together into one. Keep taking each one of those placebos, David. I am so not quick-minded. Keep, that sort of does delegitimize the statement you of how sexy keep I am. Keep doing your leg days <laughs> and keep saving life. It's keep saving life. I'm, I'm raising an early Guinness, the first of many, on this next hour towards you. But I want to talk to you, David, for a moment about life. Yeah. It's kind of a moment of realization when I thought about you, my friend, my dear, dear love, Dabo. And it was when... <laughs> I was on a train ride and had a moment where I just thought about life, the world, about culture in which we live, the culture in which you ply your trade. I was on a 45-minute train ride, Davey. I was totally psyched to be on that train ride. I love a good train. We never really talked about that. No, I love a train ride. But I once took the train right across America when I was about 16 or 17. It was the greatest thing I've ever done. It made me When you say you were 16 or 17, that means that you started when you were 16. By the time you'd ended, you were 17, maybe almost 18. Yeah, I was just jumping those trains like a little... (laughs) Like a little hobo. Can I say that, J-Dubs? Hobo. J-Dubs is nodding. Yep, hobo, hobo, hobo. <laughs> yeah, fine with J-Dubs. If Jen was in, she'd be just like, no, jumping no, Jumping no, on those trains. Oh, it's amazing. I was like hanging out with Woody Guthrie. It was the full-on American works. So I'm on this train. I've got a book I need to finish. I'm like psyched. I've got 40 pages, 45 minutes. But I ended up not touching the bloody book because I was completely distracted by my seatmate, young yeah. woman, who spent mm-hmm. the entire trip, the entirety of that trip, looking at her cell phone, which is fine, totally fine. But wait, wait, wait. She spent the entire 45 minutes scrolling through one photo after another of herself, which she had taken herself. These were selfies from exactly the same arm's length of her, like with her, with her neck upwards, looking at the camera, one photo after another, one smiling, the next frowning, a third raising a little cocktail, Fourth, pulling a duck face and wearing a dog nose, tongue, cute little ears filter, hungover in bed, feigning sleep on the subway. How you on a train ride with my ten-year-old daughter Ingrid? <sighs> I was on the train ride with millions and millions of America, Dave. I mean, I'm talking this 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 seatmate scrolls through maybe a thousand photographs, probably more of herself for nearly an hour, and she was so happy. She was delirious. She was fascinated. She was totally consumed, and I realised, Dabo. Thank you for bearing with me. Mm -hmm. This is what we're competing with. And by we, I mean men in blazers. I mean the Premier League. I mean the Democratic Party. I mean CBS, HBO, Hollywood, the entire entertainment industry. We are competing with millions of people, your daughter amongst them, who are quite happy, ecstatic almost, just looking at the most beautiful sight in the world, essentially their own reflection in the mirror. 
Well, it's amazing you've just said that. I mean, to broaden that out a little bit, it is true that that the entertainment business, the sports business, you know, filmed entertainment on the big screen and on the small screen essentially competes not against like digital video that will go on mobile. It competes against text messaging that people do with their friends, their Facebook updates, their own selfies, their Instagram feed, Snapchat, is that people are way more into the content that they produce of themselves and with their friends. Of course, that's more interesting to them than content which is about other people. But this wasn't even her with her friends. This was the same photo from the same distance over and over and over again. And it was as, I mean, I was like, where do we go from here? Is there a day when we just have thousands of photos of just our belly buttons? Is that the only step down from there? It's truly remarkable. It's proof, Dave, we are living in tiny, tiny little West Ham sized bubbles. Yeah, I mean, it's so weird you say this because I had a very bizarre experience this weekend is I went to watch the Arsenal-Liverpool game with a bunch of my friends who are Arsenal fans. And we went to this bar in Williamsburg, Iona, Did you full of re- Arsenal fans, you really, maybe a couple of Liverpool You really travelled there just to laugh at their pain? You're a bastard. No, I didn't. I didn't. I went there to hang out with my friends <laughs> and, and laugh at their pain a little bit. And You're a sick man. what occurred to me is watching... Being in a bar full of Arsenal fans watching Arsenal is, I mean, a few of them did ask me questions like, yeah, who are Chelsea playing this weekend? What's the, what's going on? And I realized after a while that Arsenal compete in their mind in a league in which only Arsenal exists. <laughs> they are solely focused. It's like Pangea. It's like a world without any other continents. It's just an Arsenalia world that they live in. And actually suddenly made so much more sense to me why the fourth place trophy existed. It's not a fourth place trophy. Arsenal are in a league competing only against themselves. So if they finish fourth, there are no three teams above them. Maybe a little bit of finishing above Tottenham, but that's just become a reality of their life that wherever Arsenal finish, they always finish above Tottenham. But Arsenal fans don't really care about anybody else. They can live in a complete Arsenal world of Arsenal fan TV, of Arsenal Twitter feeds, of, of Arsenal everything, and they don't have to think about anybody else. They They're are, competing against themselves. They are that girl looking at the selfies with the duck face. Pretty much. I'm not saying that's only Arsenal fans. Actually, I think Arsenal fans maybe have a little bit more confidence than that girl looking at her duck face. They are so secure in the fact that they are the most beautiful football team in the world. They play the most beautiful football. They, are, um, they, they have a divine right to be accepted as the greatest team in the world, whether or not they win anything, because they are beautiful and they are continental and they are cosmopolitan and they are panache it's a great word they uh that they're they're completely satisfied just living in a world of themselves and at the same time they loathe themselves to equal measure the other way because they just live in a world obsessed with just being arsenal so two quick questions did anyone actually ask you how are chelsea doing this season like they just didn't know the world how is the world but they they were seemed a little they seemed a little unaware of everything that was happening in the league all around them at both ends of the table. It's kind of like when Big Cat, you know, who's a Swansea fan, he has no idea what's going on at the upper end of the table because he only really cares about what's happening with Swansea. But I sort of understand that with a sort of a new fan of the American game who, you know, has a uh, seems to have an ownership stake of some kind in the team. But it's sort of Arsenal fans, I think, are perpetually, they don't, they're not that bothered about how anybody else is doing. Secondly, they in care a le- about how they're doing. Secondly, in a league in which only they compete, are they still fourth, or is that a bit like a tree falling in an empty forest? 
Arsenal fans, write in and let us know. Yeah. We may or may not talk about you in the course of the next hour of football conversation in which we are now about to descend as if into one of Dante's rings of hell. I will say, great Men in Blazers show this week. Great in that it actually broadcast and did not cut straight to black. <laughs> yeah. And also, I wasn't in the C block. Oh, but we did have an, an Arsenal player actually wins things. Yeah. Alex Scott, the England oh. Arsenal lady star. She was amazing. By the way, she's going to be a future great broadcast. She's a future Rebecca Lowe. Um, she's superb on television. I'd say she is superb. Very different to Rebecca Lowe stylistically. She is an incredible charisma, though. And that Eng- whole English women's football team, one of the great sporting stories of my lifetime. We will talk about them later yep. on uh, in this pod. But to grow a female footballing tradition without Title IX, within a deeply misogynistic sporting culture that is English culture, that is a marvel. Uh, we will be back with the Men in Blazers show uh, in April. April 5th, I believe, is the next time. I thought you were going to break there. I was a little confused. Isn't okay, it? Go ahead. Uh, we'll be back <laughs> April 5th. We do have a couple of live shows. Seattle mm-hmm. and announcing some breaking news. New York City, East Coast GFOPs, and Jason Kennedy, who flies oh, in. I'm gonna have, my oh. mate Bruce is going to have to get his chopper. All the time up. from Chicago. Save the yeah. date. For the fourth annual night of the Golden Blazer. Oh, it's at the Gramercy Theatre, Davy. Oh, that sounds flash. It's got panache. It's got panache. It's panache. Which is in terrible planning. Awful planning. April 5th, Davy. Why is that terrible planning? Well, Other than the fact that I've got to fly a red eye back from LA on April 4th, do the Men in Blazers TV show, then do that show at night. Yeah, we're going to have to ride on little motor scooters like L.A. White <laughs> and Lee Dixon through North London to get to that show. If you don't know what the Golden Blazer is, let me just say, not to blow our own horn, it's the most important Blazer presentation in sports. It doesn't involve a cabin. Yeah. <laughs> it's our event. You might have to build a cabin. I'd love to build a cabin with you, Dabo. I really love that one day. It's a dream. It honours one person whose distinguished service has left an indelible mark on soccer culture in this great nation. Our first three recipients. God, this seems like an age ago. The great ESPN journalist, another man who looks younger and younger each year. It must be the horse pills. GFOP mm-hmm. Bob Lee. Yeah, second I one to call him about the horse pills. I need some more. Okay, <laughs> second one went to World Cup champ term broadcasting savant Super Julie Foudy. Yes. Last year, gave the Golden Blaze only to FIFA hunting attorney general Loretta Lynch. Oh, my word. Does that mean we have to give it to Sessions this year, David? Yeah, I know you told me who we're giving it to, but I can't actually remember. All I can say is, it's not Sessions, yeah. but it is going to be a true giant of the game. We know uh-huh. who it is, and it is a true, true giant. An enormous, a Goliath um, on whose shoulders um, all of us are sitting. I cannot wait, but it's going to be a special, special night with some amazing yeah. guests. You'll be able to tell your grandchildren you were there, if you were there. There will be beers, there will be pies, there will be GFOPs from across the nation, Proceeds will go to the amazing veterans charity, Hope for the Warriors, uh, that we love. Tickets are going to go on sale in the next week. Watch our social media for more information. There'll be a pre-sale via our newsletter, The Raven. So sign up for that on meninblazers.com and you can access the GFOP pre-sale. Also, Seattle GFOPs, where we are headed next week in a march of wonder and folly. We're going to have a post-match Guinness with you at a pub uh, TBD, which will be announced hopefully by the end of the week. A lot of shows, David, but to the football. 
<laughs> okay, Rog, uh, we got a packed show. We're going to scratch our bald heads while pondering Arsene Wenger's decision to bench Alexis Sanchez in the Gunners' 3-1 loss to Liverpool. We're going to break down a Chelsea win over West Ham. So predictable, Irons fans didn't even bother destroying their own stadium. And we discussed the Zlatan Tyrone Mings scuffle that made Charles Barkley versus Bill Lambier look like a gentleman's duel. <laughs> Plus, GFOP Christian Fuchs calls in to talk Leicester's relegation dogfight, Claudio Ranieri's dismissal, and their upcoming Champions League tilt with Seville. To the football, Rog. Oh, so, open the Guinness. Solo Guinness has its own charm. Yeah, a little early in the morning. Actually, what am I... There's never too early in the morning for a Guinness. So this weekend's slate of games, there are a repeat of those from the Premier League's opening day. A, remind, huh. a reminder, if we needed one, how the world has, let's just say, careened out of control since August. Let's raise a glass and yeah. toast us. God help us all, Davo. And by all, I mean Everton fans. By the time this pod is released, we will be between 26 and 28 38s of the way through the Premier League season. Both of those numbers reduce. And coming off a weekend in which the slugfest for the top four saw some figurative and literal haymakers. We kick right off with Liverpool oh, 3, Arsenal Sorry, Arsenal 1. fans. Jurgen Klopp and co. deliver an emphatic victory over Arsenal in a clash with massive top four implications. Arsene Wenger opted to begin the game with the league's joint leading scorer, Alexis, on the bench after a training ground bust-up. He paid dearly for it. Two goals from Roberto Firmino and Sadio Mane left the Gunners 2-0 down early. Finally, after a torturous first half, the lanky Frenchman introduced the pocket-sized Chilean, and Arsenal got one back through that guy, Welbs. But it was too little, too late, as Wijnaldum added a third, and Liverpool leapfrogged Arsenal into fourth place. Oh, what a battle, Dave. A top-four clash that had all the fear and self-loathing of a relegation six-pointer. Liverpool, the only organisation in the world entering this game whose year had been worse than Price Waterhouse Coopers, and Arsenal, oh... Their manager, poor Arson, on the brink of becoming, let's just say, a greater source of public concern than even Richard Simmons. In the run-up to this game, he called himself a specialist in masochism, and it proved to be so prescient a name. It was just agonising fair from the off, thanks to his tith with star striker, leading scorer, and your local neighbourhood dog walker, Alexis. God, it, it was a weird one this day, because at first the British media thought that Arsenal had just tactically benched Alexis. That's where he wanted to drive the story, somewhat pathetically, uh, before and after the game, saying he wanted to go more direct with Olivier Giroud, admittedly a Liverpool killer in games past, five goals in his last seven against the Reds. You can analyse it tactically, but ultimately the whole Sanchez thing is just a political nightmare. And on Monday, we learned that Sanchez had stormed off a training pitch mid-session and then had an angry exchange with Captain Laurent Koscielny. It's always Koscielny on the oh. way to the locker room. The weird part of it all was if that was the case and Sanchez was benched as a result of that, his punishment was so half-assed. Any parent can tell you the most important rule when you're raising a child is just to be rational and consistent, especially when you're punishing them. And Arson's punishment that you, you little Chilean, must suffer by watching Arsenal play for 45 minutes, an exquisite torture only known to Arsenal fans, was so half-assed. He then delivered the opposite message. I need you so very badly, and even though this gives you complete leverage in contract negotiations and undermines any sense of discipline, I'm going to throw you on in the second half. It was just desperate. It was sad. It was a half-assed symbol 
of much of what is wrong with Arsenal's competitive culture. Very distracting for the other 11 players. It's one thing if you're going to punish him and you're going to say, you're out of the squad, then the rest of the team don't have to think about him. But if he's sitting there on the bench the whole time and you know that you can be replaced by him or you're wondering why your best player is sitting on the bench, it's just... It's just somewhat, somewhat confusing for everyone. Absolutely. You either utterly banish him, in which case you're saying to the other lads, we're going this alone. You don't do that. You don't go against the team. You don't go against our culture. There's ramifications. Or you play him. But you don't do the this kind of ramifications. But then again, you kind of don't. And Arsenal went, Ramificationally. Into, Arsenal went into this game with no Ozil, out with the flu, no Sanchez, Really, this is a taste of Arsenal 2017-18 come early. And my God, it was awful because from their first attack on nine minutes, Arsenal's bat line imploded. The one player you want to stay somewhat tight to, especially in a narrow game, is Sadio Mane. He has been like almost a one-man team for Liverpool in the uh, sort of ever since the first third of the season. Um, fantastic uh, ball from him. Dangerous, dangerous ball. You thought it was going to be Coutinho. He talked about, I think he said, after, he sort of suggested it may have been a dummy. Uh, Firmino knocks it in at the back post. 1-0 to Liverpool. And he had so much time to miscontrol that ball, Firmino, with his big, bright, bold incisors shining in the Anfield light. Poor Arson. God, we saw this so many times this week. Just buried his head in his hands. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. And then every Arsenal troop just came to pass. El Nene, Xhaka, no shape in midfield, no identity, no tempo, no ambition, no tactical plan to get Giroud the ball, Davo, not even from corners. Petr Cech actually made a sensational save to stop Arsenal going down 2-0 early. Uh, but then just kept on the onslaught, kept on coming from Liverpool. Yeah, GFOP Scott Galinas Facebooked us with the truth. First off, Arsenal looked like 11 guys who'd met for the first time in the parking lot before the game. And it was no surprise when it did become two on the stroke of half-time. Firmino doing so well to find Mane in acres of space. You always say, why mark him? Yeah, why mark him? Why mark Mane? Like, oh, yeah, leave him. Let's, let's double-team everyone else and leave him free. Almost a replay of the, of the first move, except this time Mane just lashed it uh, past check. Nothing he could do. 2-0 to the Reds. It's like a Shea Reberes slap shot. Time to attach your rusty nipple clamps, Arsenal fans. By the way, Stan Kroenke, I know you listen to the pod. You've got to start selling official Arsenal nipple clamps at the club store with the team logos on and tassels. Yep. I'm sure you'll be able to afford Ozil's wage demands if you do that. Incredible bestsellers. I'm giving you that as a gift for sure. And who charges on at halftime, Davo? Uh, Alexis. Oh, from the naughty step to the field, I imagine like one of his beloved golden retrievers, Atanor Humber, charging into the park when they first let off their leash in the morning. Arsenal instantly have 100% more thrust. I mean, his arrival tactically, it was like watching Littlefinger and the Knights of the Vale charge late into the Battle of the Bastards. Liverpool immediately onto the back foot. Giroud came close with a header of a shagger, but then Alexis fed the ball through to Welbs. Yeah, Welbs. You know, usually a forward, you play for defensive reasons. He's an interesting <laughs> player in that way. Uh, fed it through to Welbs. And Welbs, my word, what a finish. What a run. What control. What a finish. 2-1. Game De on. Desperate football ensued. Both teams careened at each other, stretching the game. Liverpool noticeably wilting physically. They've just got no bench of which to speak to change matters. And what seemed like a triumph in the first half began to look a lot like holding on. God, that, that first half was an eyesore, but the second half, it was just 
an incredible piece of emotional poetry. I, I can't remember a game recently that had more moods, all of them different shades of fear, vulnerability and loss. Arsenal surging forward, desperate to grab an equaliser, which would feel like a victory, plucked out the jaws of defeat. They just overcommitted and at the death, it was Lalana who'd been so intelligent all game long, just that delicious rotating it's like watching a dad drive around the block to look for a parking space. And then he released Origi, who just rolled the ball to Wijnaldum. Yeah, and puts it away. The most Arsenal-y moment of the most arsenal of seasons. A, a goal forged from the crucible of attack, um, suddenly dispossessed and just beaten down the pitch. Fantastic, beautiful piece of play. Oh, it was an emotional exclamation point of just relief and joy for Liverpool fans. What was the scene like in the Arsenal bar as you laughed, finished off the last of your Malbec and toasted counter-attacking football? A solo that's, exactly, toast. that's exactly what I was drinking as well. It was downcast. It was downtrodden. It was, uh, it was self-loathing. It was also a time for a lot of, uh, you know, poor Wenger, is he the guy, uh, questions coming out of there. But ultimately... There seemed to be an air of inevitability about the whole thing. God, that is so true, David. I mean, I, I mean, thinking about Arsenal, they've almost become desensitised to suffering this season. Yeah. They've taken so many smashes in the face. It just seems to be the, 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 the kind of impact of one brutal, savage, devastating, lacklustre performance after another has taken almost some of the sting out of it. But the final whistle here was Arsenal. It was left trapped in a glass case of emotion. His team out of the top four for the first time since September. All I could think of at the time was about my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. We've talked a lot over the past month about Arson. Should he stay or should he go? And we don't have to rehash that. Listeners can just l listen to really the past eight episodes of Men in Blazers uh, when we've gone in depth. But it is as if Defeat has almost been politically normalised. That's what I felt at the time. But then worse was to come, Davo. The 5-1 collapse at the Alliance Arena in the first leg of the Champions League, which was hailed as one of Wenger's most disappointing nights. He somehow managed to top that last night, Davo. I mean, <laughs> last night was just a massacre on home turf. And the amazing thing about it, it contained all the Arsenal troops, the false hope of an early Arsenal goal, an unfortunate red card to the always the victim, Koscielny. And then the entire team just, without a word, seemed to stall and then quit and capitulation followed. I mean, watching it, it couldn't have been more embarrassing for Arsenal if he'd been forced to perform a naked walk of atonement in front of all the Arsenal fan TV pundits while Scepter Unola <laughs> rang a bell and screamed, shame, shame, shame. And the dagger came from that man, Alexis, who'd been beyond lackluster on the field, a performance that can only be described as ozilish in terms yeah. of its lack of impact. And Sky did break down the, the, the meagre number of sprints he's offered per game recently, the shockingly low distance he's been covering um, and his unwillingness to track back. The intensity we associate with the Chilean has just not been there, but he does now lead the stats in the one important department from an Arsenal fan perspective, which is smirking from the bench. <laughs> we, we've now got analysed laughs, David. That's what we've come we to. Need we need opters to start tracking that. That was most definitely an I am out of here in a few weeks kind of smirk, Davo, and I'm currently practising my French right now laughter, if I've ever seen one. Wenger post-game was in full what is dead may never die mode. He talked about how the referee cost Arsenal. There's always a reason for Arsenal. He managed to say, we produced a performance of spirit 
and pride. I don't know how I almost admire how he says these things after a 10-2 aggregate loss to a not particularly vintage Bayern Munich team. And then he finishes press conference by saying, I think this club is in great shape. I mean, denial, Davo. And just a complete lack of other spokespeople from within the Arsenal organisation. Stan Kroenke living up to the silent Stan Monica. Nobody else, though, Davo, stepping in to fill that power vacuum. Yeah, but in my view, Arsene has been able to get away with this for so long. And for years, frankly, a lot of people around Arsenal have been complicit in this and allowed him to talk about the fourth place trophy, allowed him to go and sort of hail victories when it's been hard to sort of figure out um, where they were to make every loss. There was an external reason for it that wasn't anything to do with Arsenal Football Club and the way that they they approach the game. It's kind of like we've talked before about that episode of 30 Rock. I think it's season three, episode four, where Don Draper plays the uh, Tina Fey's boyfriend. And he's a doctor, a very, very highly thought of doctor. And he's amazing at tennis. When in fact, he knows almost nothing about medicine and he's a terrible tennis player. He's so good looking <laughs> that nobody has ever had the heart to tell him that he's no good at these things. That's Arsenal a little bit. They, 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 they sort of, they hide behind the, they're so good looking. They play such pretty football. They've managed to avoid the, um, the spotlight and frankly, the, the exposure that other teams and other managers are under all the time, which is why other teams switch their manager a lot uh, when they're not winning and why Arsenal haven't. That is so perfectly put. I mean, I, I've started to think of Arsenal as like a legendary sitcom showrunner whose who shows have achieved syndication. No one can take that away from him. But yeah. he's, he's desperate to conjure one more hit and he's just lost touch with the modern audience completely. And the sad part of all this is Arsene is a great and he deserves to go out in the way of all true kings. He really does. Arsene, if you're listening, just get a funeral pyre. Jump on it. <laughs> Do it. Or, or go, go out onto an enchanted lake on a burning longboat. Don't go out to a chorus of booze protest signs and being humiliated by Piers Bloody Morgan and Arsenal TV. You know what's right. Arsenal now have to host fifth level Lincoln City in the FA Cup, themselves managed by a remarkable young manager, Danny Cowley, who was a phys ed teacher this time last year. He's going to take his minnows out to play at the Emirates. He said, read all of his quotes. They're beautiful. What he's saying about he's got this one opportunity to face world-class players and he wants to know what I've got to do exactly as a manager to reach their level. I want to know exactly how far we are away from them. What a way to attack life. I love his approach more than I can say and wish every imp a day to remember, but for God's sake, Lincoln, go easy on Arsenal. Quick word from one of our listeners at Fade to Blue Skies, who says, bury me in my Arsenal shirt so that God knows I've already suffered enough. All hail Jurgen Klopp, we should say, a bloke who began the day in danger of slipping below Brendan Rodgers, now seen as total clown car in head-to-head stats. He's got his team back in fourth. He's the first Liverpool manager to do the double over Arsenal in 17 years. <sighs> happiness reigns again, at least until Liverpool face Burnley at the weekend. Oh my God, a non-top six team. Liverpool's kryptonite. We will see uh, how they do. Liverpool definitely play well against teams who play them and give them space to exploit uh, at the back. I've got to say, if Liverpool only played top six teams every week, they'd be 12 points ahead in this title race. I have yeah. no doubt, David. You had a very important insight into Jurgen Klopp, the man though, this weekend. Oh, he's short legs, long body, Rog. He is an extreme short legs, long bodier, rather like you. You know, when people meet us 
uh, when we do our live shows, this will happen in Seattle, this will happen in New York. And they, they're always surprised at how tall I am because I'm the opposite. I'm long legs, short body. Yeah. You are short you legs, have stealth long torso. Height. You have stealth height. I have stealth height. But on TV, you look taller than me because your body's longer. Yeah, you know, I've always thought it, it's, a, uh, it's an advantage being me. Uh, only in, if I'm ever kidnapped and my, uh, my cadaver is cut up and I'm stuffed into a boot, my upper torso, it, it won't fit into many kind of standard uh, car trunks. So beware. Yeah. Beware future kidnappers. If you are going to kidnap me and do extraordinarily horrific things to my uh, body and leave me in the Newark parking lot to rot, <laughs> you just got to do it in like a large kind of sedan. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, maybe an SUV. Prepare thoroughly uh, and victory will be delivered. Go on. Okay, moving on. West Ham won. Chelsea two goals from a lightning quick Eden Hazard counter. And Diego Costa's down belows give Antonio Conte's side <laughs> an exacting victory over the Irons. Chelsea stay 10 points clear of second place Spurs and 11 clear of third place City, who at the time of recording have a game in hand. Yeah, a game that sounds closer than it was. As dominant a 2-1 as you'll probably see this season. Though you wouldn't know it from the way Antonio Conte screamed and bellowed and harangued his players for the entire 90 minutes from the sideline. This game has had all the suspense of the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight, yeah. where one fighter would just so outclass the other, could hurt them at will, prevent them from laying a glove, in return, Lanzini's late 92nd minute goal for West Ham seemed only to be there to muck up my togger fantasy clean sheet. Credit West Ham, they huffed and puffed from the outset. But God, this Chelsea team, it's what they've done all season. They believe collectively, absolutely, in their ability to soak up whatever is thrown at them. Knowing all they have to do, Dave, is just wait for their foe to make one mistake and then they spring. That first goal, though, Rod, that break. Uh, Eden Hazard oh. and Pedro playing that nifty little... Um, you know, tic-tac-toe, lines, triangles between just two men uh, on the halfway line. And then Hazard breaks that big <sighs> bottom. How fast he cuts with the size of that bottom. I mean, it defies physics, Rog. You know those and, shoes that the kids have, tiny yeah. kids, where they're walking one minute and then they just can get wheels to pop out and they can kind of coast uh, with little yeah. wheels. That, I am sure Eden Hazard is coasting on rollerblades. Stealth yeah. rollerblades and the way he just blew past Darren Randolph, he more killed him with that first yeah. touch of sheer confidence of a player operating on another level, and he knows it. He's just a jewel in this system. Frank Lampard, really interesting to listen to him gushing pre-game with a sense of wonder. That is a man that has played on great Chelsea teams, but hearing him gush with a sense of wonder about the tactical system, he said, "No other team can live with it," and it's so true. It occurs to me that Eden Hazard may have muscles in his bottom that other people don't have in their bottoms that manage to move his thighs and therefore his legs in different directions, in different sequences than other humans, than other bipeds can actually move their legs. It can be that the, may be the secret. It can be the only... Is there, is there a phrenology of buttocks? Yeah. Is there a study of buttockology? If yeah. any GFOPs are masters of the phrenology of buttocks and can add to our insight, I mean, we are absolutely baffled. But it's, his body part is not the only one that dominated in this game because Diego added a second off his ball sack. Yeah, no, that was a, it was a messy goal, but it was coming. Diego, it was, let's just say it was, at the very least, horse placenta assisted, uh, that goal. It seemed to be with his inner thigh uh, that he managed to score that. Reminded me of the first goal I ever scored uh, for my school, uh, third eleven. Uh, away at Frank Lampard's Brentwood. Yeah, the people are still talking about that goal for the yeah. third 11, but that was actually Diego Costa's 17th of the season in the Premier League. Uh, at PB Glazer tweeted us and said, oh, Eden Hazard just passed the ball with his back 
Diego Costa scored with his undercarriage. Please turn up the FIFA 17 difficulty. It was all like watching a boa constrictor subdue an ocelot. I love the way Luis and Alonso were so prepared and intelligent in the way they totally subdued the Andy Carroll threat. And honestly, every time West Ham... Oh, and Dave, and Azpilicueta defended him amazingly, Rod. Every time West Ham attacked, Chelsea looked more likely to score because of that counter. Question for you, Davo, from at Trippus Maximus. That's an old GFOP. Yes. Davo, Kante and Hazard for Messi. Do you do it? Oh. Well, I think at this point, Chelsea... Um, are so look, Messi would take Chelsea perhaps to a different level in terms of what they could go and do in Champions League football. But right now, I'm quite happy being really good in the Premier League and having a go in Europe. And I'm enjoying watching this team play so well. The team is so happy. Uh, Kante is so phenomenal, game after game after game. Um, you know what he's doing, what uh, what Conte is getting out of. Victor Moses, what he's getting out of, what he's found in Alonso, what a jewel of a footballer he is, uh, not only at the back, but going forward as well. I wouldn't change anything on this team right now. And we've got some very, very good young players coming through at this club as well. So I wouldn't change anything. To be truthful, I wouldn't swap Kante for Hazard or Messi. Oh, you're right. God, he's, <laughs> he's amazing. Manchester United won, Bournemouth won. Josie Mourinho's side allow an opportunity to move out of sixth place for the first time in three months, go up in smoke against the 10-man cherries. Marcus Rojo's first-ever Premier League goal and a Joshua King penalty were overshadowed by a violent pair of incidents, of course, super violent, involving Zlatan and Bournemouth defender Tyrone Mings. Oh, Manchester United. They continue to jump the shark. I mean, a floundering Bournemouth. There for the taking, shell shock from the off. Just United opening with a barrage of shock and awe and terrible, terrible finishing. They seem to be able to pick the Bournemouth batline apart at will. And once Rojo prodded home on 23 minutes, you felt it could easily have been 4 or 5 nil to United. And it was a flagrancy that's been a theme of this season. But in this game, my God, did it come back to haunt them. Out of nowhere, Phil Jones turned into old Phil Jones. Tripped up Pew, penalty. My second son was watching this and he said, that guy, Phil, he can only do two things, get injured or foul people. And Mourinho, He's world class at both. And Mourinho, who loves lockdown defending first, Dave, what must he think? He must be howling at the moon looking at this Manchester United bat line at times. Yeah, well, we are the unluckiest team in the world all over again. Um, you know, it's tough to watch Man United this season and not understand why they don't have 10, 11 more points. They really could be competing uh, for the title. They have just thrown away game after game after game and very un-Mourinho-like. There have been some very Mourinho-like elements of the season, but this has been very un-Mourinho-like. And the game, suddenly gobsmackingly tied up, just went off. It absolutely went off. This Bournemouth United, it's a stealth rivalry. There was an incredibly physical game uh, last season right after the Manchester United bomb threat. This game is a game that is bizarrely crazy. And it was embodied by two blokes. I mean, a fight, a heavyweight battle that just seemed to be going on without the referee being able to do anything to, to stop it for almost the entire first half. Slatan and Tyrone Mings. First, Slatan flung the defender onto the floor. I think the technical term is ragdolled. He ragdolled him. And the feud just turned from simmer to full burn. By, really, by Kevin Friend's complete aura of the Swede, who after that incident appeared to lecture the ref rather than vice versa. Then it all came to a head on the edge of the second half. A terrible stamp. Oh. Um, 
And, you know, many people said, oh, it wasn't intentional. He clearly didn't intend to do it. But at a certain point, recklessness, you know, as you and I both former law students, recklessness um, approaches a level of intent. Uh, we just do not want to see people getting their heads stamped on uh, in professional soccer matches. Uh, looked awful. Thank God Zlatan was okay. Uh, you certainly can't, you okay just, enough to you, end up elbowing uh, Mings <laughs> back in the head a few minutes later. Um, ne- 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 neither of which were seen. I, d- I don't know how a player gets away with either offence. I don't know how assistants yeah. don't see it. It makes a joke of the game. You cannot do what Tyro Mings did to Zlatan. You can't do it. You can only do that legally to Luis Suarez, Diego Costa or Laurent Koscielny. Yeah, you're right. But then Zlatan, I mean, just whoa, full on Randy Savage with the elbow drop. Kevin Friend, then in the spotlight, no confidence whatsoever to try and investigate the issue. He did what we call in England bottling it and ended up turning around and gave a second yellow to Bournemouth captain Andrew Sermon. Sermon here. It's like when I got sent to my room at my fifth birthday party for everybody <laughs> else's bad behavior. You deserved it. I got it. sent to my room when everybody else was misbehaving. My mum, the only way she knew how to control it, may she rest in peace, was to send me to my room. <sighs> Does it, all of us have a beaker from the Muppets moment in life, Dave. I got Kevin friended by my mum. God, you know what? Kevin Friend, we will talk about in a second. It is shocking to me that Mings and Zlatan, already on a yellow Zlatan, got off totally scot-free. The FA have stepped in. Zlatan has been banned for three games after Mings jumped into his elbow. He'll be suspended for the FA Cup quarterfinal at Chelsea and then Middlesbrough and West Brom games. He scored 26 goals in all comps this season, 17 more than any other United player, which is a shocking statistic. He will be missed. Yeah, the relativity, a lot of people questioning. I guess this is a five-match ban the FA have handed down now to Tyrone Mings. Uh, Three matches uh, for Zlatan. The Cherries have already said they're going to appeal. Man United, we don't know yet. Um, A lot of people are going to be upset about, especially Bournemouth fans, about the sort of, they're going to see that as being relatively unfair. But I do think that, it was just the rareness of seeing someone get their head stamped on uh, as opposed to, unfortunately, the all too uh, frequent use of elbows against heads. Um, that is the reason why he got a larger ban. Yeah, I mean, Tyrone Mings has not yet brought out an autobiography called I Mings. And when you do, you get a lesser <laughs> ban from the FA. But the capper to this black eye of an incident, Dave, it came when the Times broke hilarious and the more you think about it, so don't think about it, rather depressing news that Kevin Friend's incompetent performance and the one that followed it from Anthony Taylor, who awarded Burnley a penalty after one of their own players handled the ball in the Swansea area, came right after, Davo, came a day after a number of the top flight referees had returned from a three-day bachelor party bender in Marbella for Taylor's <laughs> forthcoming wedding. Yes, ladies, he's taken... God, referee hangover would be such a good blockbuster, David. I think Ed Helms, Ed Helms would be an amazing Kevin friend. Bradley yeah. Cooper is clat snatch. <laughs> He's a very versatile actor, Rod. <sighs> Although clats will probably want to play clats. Yeah, and get some uh, get some residuals. Bournemouth down to ten men. United couldn't take advantage of it. Zlatan's day to forget. No one picked up the score in slack. The Tiger Woodsification of Wayne Rooney continues. God, the Neverbald is just broken. Pogba, worst of all, woeful. No goals or assists against the top six this season. Fast becoming the worst blockbuster trade since Dwight Howard. But we've got to talk about the Zlatan penalty, Dave. Karma lovers. It's the best thing they've probably ever seen since John Oliver's profound and delightful interview with the Dalai Lama. 
Yeah, also, it was a well-hit penalty. It was not a horribly hit penalty. It was a fantastic save from Boric, who seems to specialize uh, in, in, in saving penalties. He's very good at that, Rog. Yeah. Um, but it was a moment that, you know, you just would not have perceived it as being possible as uh, Zlatan stepped up to go and take that. There is a god, and she loves cherries. And Boric, who is an absolute liability of a goalkeeper, has saved four of the last six penalties that he's faced in the Premier League. Incredible decision-making from a man who, as we always like to celebrate, has a tattoo of a monkey bending over around his belly button, which serves as the aforementioned monkey sphincter. Mourinho's excuse was Pete Mourinho. For four months, we've not had the penalty, so we didn't train penalties. The guys weren't ready. An astonishing quip from the best manager in the world but not the best manager, from 12 yards. So United have this 17-game unbeaten run, which stays alive, but it feels so unsavoury. Eight draws in that sequence, 10 on the season, including points dropped against Bournemouth, Burnley, Hull, Stoke, West Ham. Mourinho made your point after the game, Dave. He said, if you accumulate all the points we've dropped, you're talking 10 or 12 points. And you're not just talking about the top four, you're talking about the top two or the top one. No, and Mourinho, he has this team so close uh, to being contending. Um, you know, already I would put some money on them for next season. Um, just, you know, moments like this, missed penalties, you know, late equalizers, uh, all sorts of things have, have, uh, have, have compounded uh, to sort of leave this side 10, 11, maybe 12 points short of where you would expect them to be. I've got to say, to watch this United fail to seize an opportunity to break into the top four at home against a terrible Bournemouth side who are down to 10 men with the referee crumbling. Anyone who's watched Sir Alex Ferguson era United, it was astonishing to see. And it really made United feel like the most famous mediocre team in the world. I do sense... The absolute belief amongst United fans that Mourinho is a born winner who could immediately restore whatever it takes to win mentality at Old Trafford. I really felt it took a body blow during this game. There's an edginess. If United don't get back into the Champions League, and right now their best chance might be by winning the Europa League, a certain restlessness amongst United fans is going to grow and grow through the Chelsea FA Cup clash at the weekend. And you, but you look at their league schedule, four games coming up, Middlesbrough and vacationings, West Brom and Everton, and then Sunderland. They've got to win nine or ten points there or not, and that's going to define the season. Uh, OK, a team in great form. Tottenham uh, beat your team, Rog. Uh, Everton, three goals to two. The Premier League's equivalent of Andre 3000 and Big Boy. Do it again. Two goals from Harry Kane and a delicate deli flick. See Mauricio Pochettino's side past the toffees at White Hart Lane. Tottenham stay second, Rog. Just 10 points off Chelsea. Another week, another chapter in the epic Latin poem that is the life of young Harry Kane, the man for whom the White Hart Lane faithful have now unfurled a new chant. One season wonder, he's just a one season wonder. Just two goals this week, his 15th in his last 13 games in all comps and a Premier League best 19 on the season. That first goal though, Amazing. I mean, look, no one seems to hit the corner more accurately than Harry Kane. Reminds me of Alan Shearer, Rog. When the ball's at his foot, you just feel like he's going to score. You know, it's sort of having a poke for most players. I think he doesn't doubt his ability for one second that he's going to put it in the back of the net. Fantastic, fantastic finish. Fantastic goal. Yeah, he feels like everything he hits is going to go in. It's like that old Mickey Mantle saying about hitting streaks that I just saw the ball as big as a grapefruit. He's an incredible finisher. And I thought a lot about him watching this game. He just seems to be a man who loves scoring goals more than anything in his life, David, on or off the field. If you gave him 
the choice of the greatest, rarest car in the world owning it, making love to the person of his dreams or scoring a goal. He would not take a second. He would choose that goal. And so would I, by the way. He was also a kid that struggled with his weight and his physicality and his mentality as a 13, 14-year-old. He's not always been a human wonder surrounded by agents and yes-men telling him that he's the greatest thing ever. And his present countenance, it just seems to reflect those early struggles. That he's a human being who takes nothing for granted and just will not let himself coast, Davo. And as an Everton fan, I mean, number one, that handshake with Delhi. I'd say even Trump's handshake with the Japanese prime minister was cooler than that. But bar that, it was a funny experience watching this game. There was this, the normal pain of taking a punch in the chin. I mean, the loss did kill off my deeply buried, never truly articulated dream of a late run to grab a Champions League place. But I also admired so much about this Spurs team with their high-tempo football, their ambitious manager, their young English core. Spurs, they're everything that the Everton of Ross Barkley and Tom Davis want to be. Yeah, absolutely. I know you've great sympathies from you and me, to be honest, uh, towards Tottenham. Just enjoy watching this side play football. Just enjoy the whole way that they're built from, uh, from the manager uh, on down. That final goal to seal it for Tottenham, that third, that wonderful. I mean, that ball from Harry Winks, Harry Winks, was amazing in itself. But that finish from Delhi, Finish. It, it, it reminded me of my favorite Chelsea player of all time, uh, Zola. It was a Zola-level flick. Audacious, Rog. Just so well done. Yeah, it was Leon Osman-esque. I'll say Everton were moral victors in this one. Cause oh, really? Because we, we prevented Harry Kane from scoring his contractually obliged hat-trick. Okay, Rod, Sunderland, nil, Man City, two. Pep side win their fourth on the spin, thanks to Sergio Aguero and Leroy Sane goals. The victory leaves City 11 points off Chelsea. They're preparing to take on Stoke this afternoon uh, as we speak. Sunderland, meanwhile, stay rooted to the bottom of the table, meaning David Moyers is holed up in a dark room in Wearside as I read this. Yeah, that's just a normal Wednesday for David Moyers. Oh, but this was clinical. It was comfortable. It was professional. Clean sheet to boot, controlling, dominant. Manchester City football, they never really had to break out of a jog, thanks to David Silva, who's such a masterful technician. One of, I, I, we're chatting to J-Dubs about this. He's one of the most underrated Premier League careers. I, mean, I think there's something about his unassuming demeanour that he has, but it just, ballads should be written about the way that man plays football. And another golden game by Leroy Sané. I am falling in love with him. He's got the, yeah, the, he's the afro of Marouane Fellaini with the skills and abilities of a real professional footballer. He's the kind of player that whenever he gets the ball, everyone in the stadium just gets out of their seats. The hair on your neck stands on end. He, he just You want to watch him charge and beat and undo his opponents over and over again. And once he calibrates his finishing, as he did here, he's going to be a true, true force. You might want to get a new mentor. The one uh, great piece of information from the commentary team in the pregame is that Raz is Leroy Sane's mentor on the team. Yeah. I just love. It's going to end well. Only bad decision Pep made all day, David. That overcoat. It's got 90% oh, too much zip, Pep. Way too much zip. It was a lot of zip. J-Dubs looked at it and goes, that is proof if you needed it that Pep is just surrounded by a bubble of yes men. Because <laughs> someone needs to pull him aside. Have a word. Uh, West Brom nil, Crystal Palace two. Big Sam's anti-relegation tonic served in a pint glass and smelling <laughs> faintly of Chardonnay is finally settling at Selhurst Park. Wilfred Zaha and Andros Townsend goals give Palace back-to-back -back league wins for the first time since September. They're up to 17, three points <sighs> clear of the drop. This is the match of the weekend. I, I've watched it twice. Not because of the football, which was crap. 
But uh, just watching the two British troglodyte Neanderthals on the sideline, it's wonderful. Big Sam and TP. It was like watching a picked battle an Anglo-Saxon with a Stone Age club. It was all <laughs> something so beautifully primitive about it. Uh, by the way, I know HBO, I know you're listening. Can you make a series that would feature Danny McBride as Big Sam and Nick Offerman as Poulis? I would watch that on television. I would watch that. Oh, I thought you were just going to go time. for the boxing pay-per-view. Oh, oh that, why, yeah, why muck around with a fictional series yeah. when you could have the real <laughs> thing? Oh, yeah. Just grease them up, lads. Grease up, Poulis. <laughs> By the way, in the HBO series, to make it great, both of them must be in love with the same woman. What woman would that be, though? I can't quite. Maybe it's Streep. Oh, they, maybe they all end up living together in a second-hand airstream at the end of the series. But who am I to judge? Palace. I feel like Tilda Swinton could play her. Oh, Tilda Swinton could actually play both Big Sam and Poolish. She's very versatile. Palace fans, huge three points. Another one for Big Sam, who normally likes his points one at a time. Three wins in five now. Um, and the fans serenaded Tony Poulis, who famously owes Palace owner Steve Parrish $4 million after extracting a loyalty bonus deceitfully whilst the Palace manager. The Palace fans sang, We're having your house. Oh, Tony Poulis, we're having your house. Oh, football humour. <laughs> uh, Swansea 3, Burnley 2. Come on, Bob. Another big win for Paul <laughs> Clement Swans and the best thing to come out of Pamplona since the sun also rises. Fernando Llorente. The big Spaniard scored twice to bring his tally for the season to 11 and move the Swans up to 16th place. Five points clear of the drop, Rog. Yeah, five wins in eight games for Paul Clement. That is water into wine territory, Davo. He's manager of the season, Bar Conte, for me. Watford three, Southampton four. A Premier League scoreline in honour of Major League Baseball's fast-approaching opening day sees the Saints rebound from last week's EFL Cup heartbreak with a win over fellow mid-table tenants Watford. Another goal for the Premier League's answer to Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, Manolo Gabbiadini. Stoke 2, Middlesbrough nil. Borough's offensive impotence, it's not that normal and doesn't happen to every team, sees them finally slip into the relegation zone. A brace for level-headed Austrian, that's saying something, Marko Anatovic, the difference in this one. Anatovic, there are a few more gifted goal scorers in the league when he wants. He's so t- You know the old phrase, he scores when he wants. He does. Anatovic, when he wants it, he, he scores. He just doesn't want it He doesn't very want often. it very often. He just doesn't really want it very often. Two unbelievably balletic, explosive exclamation point goals, but just five on the season. He really doesn't want. In self-interested news, Jeff Cameron made his first start since October, back from knee injury, and he looked good, which is thank God news, with an eye to the United States must-win hex games that are speedily forthcoming. But Middlesbrough... Poor Middlesbrough, 10 games without a win, four without scoring, 433 minutes without a league goal. Borough, they are sliding into the relegation zones, DMs at the worst time. Yeah, Leicester City three, Hull City one. The Foxes win their second game in a row since firing Claudio Ranieri. Goals from Christian Fuchs and Riyad Mahrez, plus a Tom Huddleston own goal, leave Leicester five points clear of the drop. Successive 3-1 wins for Craig Shakespeare. Set to be named as Leicester's manager for the rest of the season. I've come to realise, Davo, trying to rationalise the whole Ranieri thing. Just as Churchill was a right prime minister for wartime, but was thrown out by the electorate, come peace. Yeah, 1945. Yeah, Claudio Ranieri, just not a good peacetime manager, Davo. Something has happened, something profound and cultural within that locker room. So let's speak to a man who hangs his undies up on a peg in that Leicester locker room every day. Let's get Christian Fuchs on the line. 
we welcome back to the pod the starting left back for Leicester City, a proud New Yorker by way of his native Austria and a man whose long throw-in reminds us of Matthew Stafford. Making his third appearance on our crap show, the one and only GFOP Premier League champion, Mr. Christian Fuchs. Hi, Roger. How are you? Nice for having me again. And the show is not too bad. Oh, it's good when you're on it. You sound very tanned, Christian. Yeah, I'm a little burned. Fresh. I, I forgot my sunscreen in Dubai. Fresh back from some team bonding in Dubai. So much has happened since we last spoke to you, Christian. First things first. Second 3-1 win in a row over the weekend. You were on the score sheet. You're the new Jamie Vardy. How much of a relief was it for you and the players to hear the King Power resound to the chant, we've got our Leicester back at the final whistle? It has been an amazing relief, especially, you know, that the last two weeks were simply crazy. There has a lot been written in the media and, you know, which simply fired us up for those two games, or let's say for the Liverpool game, first of all. And then after the second game, after the second win against Hull City, standing there, the fans are cheering, the fans are behind us, you know, that that was outstanding and for me it was special because you know I never saw myself giving an assist with my right foot and then even scoring that was that was a new experience for me just don't be modest it's your second goal of the season Christian but your prolific scoring record two goals has been one bright star in a Leicester City 2017 that has been a bit of a grind from January 2nd till February 27th you as defending champions, didn't win a point in the league. 567 minutes without a goal, Christian. You found yourself into the bottom three. Did you begin to fear relegation for a second? I mean, we knew for a longer time already that we are in the relegation zone and that, yeah, no, we are battling against relegation. But always bearing in mind that we have the quality. We are almost the same team from last season. And... We knew it's, it, it will click at some point, and I think it clicked just at the right time. But how does that happen? All those players who had clicked last season with magic, the year of their lives, everybody in that locker room had. How do you all lose your mojo for such a long period at the same time? I think it didn't start right away. I, th- I, I believe that at the beginning of the season, we were pretty similar to the, to the title-winning one. We were unlucky in a couple of situations. Then you... Then you probably get a little bit insecure with your games and, and you know, things develop then. You've got a new manager, Craig Shakespeare. What's he brought that Claudio Ranieri didn't? To be honest, Craig is here since I started to play for Leicester. So he was here at the very beginning when, when Claudio came in. And, you know, he's, he's the guy to go to. I mean, he was always the assistant coach. He was always uh, eyes and ears for, for players. You know, when you have a problem, you can always go to him. Obviously, you can also go to Claudio. But, you know, he has the trust of the players, and I love to work with him, to be honest. The joy of Leicester this season has been the Champions League. Next week, you host Seville at the King Power. You got an all-important away goal, losing 2-1 in the first leg. Despite all the challenges of the season... Your team, they've reserved the best football for this competition, the Champions League. Can you explain why? 
it's simply something very, very special to us. I mean, when we went out there for the first Champions League game in the home stadium, that was... That, I, I still have goosebumps thinking about that scenario. And listen, I mean, it's the chance of our lives, I think. It's something we're very proud of, given it's, it's the result from last season. And listen, the, the game away, the result in Sevilla was good. I believe the, the away goal obviously helps. And and now also finding back on track, I, I also, I'm also very positive for the game at home. You thrilled us last season like few teams in sports ever have. This season, it's been back to earth with a bump. From a human perspective, what lessons you draw from the two seasons back to back? What's it taught you about life? I think Claudio always had the right answer to something like that. He always said, it doesn't matter if you're all the way up or all the way down. You're always the same person. So you, what that means is that given this, you, you always have to accept in the situation you are, but make the best out of it. Words to live by. A piece of advice to close with from another perspective. Your home is New York City, Christian. You actually live about 10 blocks away from me. I know you've been in and out of the city during international <laughs> breaks because I can smell your cologne wafting around the Upper West Side whenever you're here. Can we get Why did you never pass by to my apartment? Oh, you've, I, I'm, uh, I'm waiting for an invitation, Christian. Oh, so you're officially invited now. Uh, well, I wasn't invited to the Dubai bonding trip with the lads. And uh, you know what? I never assume, but we'll do it. Next time you are here, we will rock it in New York City. What well, rest- I know it too what, well. What, <laughs> what, what restaurant rec- recommendation would you give us from your New York experience? Am I allowed to make any advertising here right now? Uh, Juan Mata did when he came on last week. He plugged his dad's restaurant. <laughs> well, he should. He should. Well, I love to be in New York just for also going to restaurants. But my favorite one, to be honest, is La Esquina in Lower Manhattan. <sighs> the finest. Oh, it's it's delicious. And also, this, you know, the, the atmosphere. You go downstairs, you go through the kitchen into the restaurant, all candlelight. Oh, I made big, big tequila menu. Not that I had them. Not that no, I had them. It's nice, but... to, nice to look. No. No, <laughs> <laughs> no well, it, it's a great restaurant and uh, I love to go there. It's down to La Schina. It's on me. It's better than pies. I look forward to that. It's a treat in store. And everyone listening wishes you and all those in Leicester against Seville and for the rest of the season, Christian, we wish you courage. Thank you. I hope you're coming in the right outfit to the restaurant with <laughs> Always a blazer. Rock on. <laughs> Bye-bye. Amazing, Rog. Yep, the curse of Rog. You come on the show and you score. It's a deal. <laughs> okay, Rog, one person who is all in on Craig Shakespeare, the winner of this week's Men in Blazers Tugger Fantasy League, McBrider. He started five foxes, Rog, including Christian Fuchs, on his way to amassing 183.75 points. Congratulations, McBrider. We can only assume the patch we're sending you will be up there with your 2006-2007 Fulham Player of the Year award. And now in MLS, Rog. God, by the way, on that sting, we had a raven from GFOP, Tom Hanley, one of my favorite ravens we've ever had. He wrote... 
Did you know that your MLS screech is not an eagle, but a red-tailed hawk? Oh. I love our GFOPs. Good for us to know. MLS <laughs> opening weekend saw us welcome one new stadium, two new teams, and an additional reason to stay rooted onto our couches Saturday and Sunday afternoons. Some cracking games. Atlanta United FC fell 2-1 to New York Red Bulls in their franchise home opener. Minnesota United FC's welcome to the league was slightly more jarring. Yeah, uh, I'm going to call MLS the He Believes Cup from this point on, Davo. But what a weekend. Massive start to the season. Kicked off in Portland. What an intoxicating atmosphere. What a fan base. It is American Dortmund. And poor new boy Minnesota United FC Town United. 5-1 defeat. Their biggest ever for an expansion side. And then Sunday, in back-to-back games, we got to see Orlando City Stadium opening, a magical American site. Yeah. I mean, you w- downtown Jamlando. You see it, Davo. You just want to leap through the television set and go and watch a game there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Looks fantastic on television. It's built right downtown in a, uh, you know, they've been trying to rejuvenate downtown for a while between what the Orlando Magic have done down there and what now uh, Orlando City have done. Just very, very good for they, that they, they never really recovered from you leaving. It's like Nathan Ake <laughs> and the Bournemouth bat line. But I'm thrilled for everyone in Orlando. And then two hours later, Davo, 55,000 fans packed into Atlanta's first home game ever at the Bobby Dodd. Tremendous feat for any club in any league in the world, as is the 30,000 season tickets they've sold for their inaugural. Amazing, amazing fair. And I cannot wait to get down to Atlanta this year. Premier League, MLS, not the only uh, fantastic football played in uh, the world over the last couple of weeks. The She Believes Cup, Rog, fantastic tournament. The U.S. women's national team, however, will be smarting this morning after a rough go of it at the tourney. You were at Saturday's game against England. I was. I took my daughter to She Believes in weather that was minus eight degrees. I almost lost my fingers to frostbite, but even if I had, it would have been worth it. There is nothing better, Davo, than taking your daughter to a U.S. women's national team game and just the memories that it creates together, even losing ones for this transitional U.S. women's team for whom debutante Rose Lavelle was a standout. This is the team that's transitioning both in terms of personnel and style of play, and they went down to a plucky English performance, the Lionesses' first win over the U.S. since 2011. The U.S., they don't lose at home, but they then went on to get smashed by France, 3-0, proof that the women's game is getting ever more tactically proficient and nothing is going to be a given for this US team again. Carly Lloyd summed up the dark mood of the tournament. It's disappointing. We came in fourth. We scored one goal. Long gone are the days of always winning. It's not going to be easy. In better US news, the US under-20s won the CONCACAF under-20 championship 5-3 on penalties against Honduras. The first time ever uh, that they've won this. Our future is bright again. Happiness will reign in the Klinsman house. Not only because Jürgen will feel a level of vindication for his youth work, but his son Jonathan, good Jonathan, was in goal. He and his teammates are now headed to the under-20 World Cup in South Korea. Godspeed. And final global news. Barcelona's coach Luis Enrique has announced he's going to step down at the end of the season. His honesty upon doing so was so human. He said, I need to disconnect now. There are some people that spend a lot of time in their jobs and enjoy it, but that's not my case. Oh, Bob Bradley for Barcelona. Yeah, could happen, Rog. Your hybrid FA Cup slash Premier League weekend looks like this. A massive game down at the bottom of the table as Paul Clement Swans try and wiggle 
another limb free of the quicksand against Hull City at 10 a.m. on Big the MBC Networks. Then at 12.30 p.m., prepare your standard def FA Cup glasses for Arsenal <laughs> versus fifth tier Lincoln City on Fox Sports 2. Oh, and God. Sunday, God, back please. on NBC SN, it's Liverpool hosting Burnley at noon Eastern. Then that evening, MLS completes the menage à trois of competitions with the two new teams, Minnesota and Atlanta, both of the United FC variety, clashing at TCF Bank Stadium at 5 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. The Galaxy versus the Timbers follows at 7.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. There are many ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon for items, big or small, just click off the Emporium page, and MIB gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. What are you putting in the Emporium this week, Rog? A book! Questions of Travel. William Morris in Iceland, a weird and really rather wonderful book, the work of a legendary English designer who in 1871 travelled by mailboat from Scotland to Iceland, a four-day journey, and then traversed the brutal, beautiful primal landscape on the back of a pony in search of escapism and adventure. He writes in flowery, enthusiastic language that just makes me wish I'd travel with him. And the essay just keeps asking the same set of questions over and over again. Why do we travel? Why is the pleasure of witnessing new sights and what is the transformative power of the experience. The volume comes from an amazing publisher who I adore, Notting Hill Editions. They've lovingly created a series of astonishingly beautiful books out of riveting essays. And this one's worth buying just to support the total fabulous romance of the publisher's mission. A a rare uh, Amazon Emporium entry for me, Rod, uh, because you can't uh, do any... It's not a tool. You can't do any DIY around your house with it. You can't grill with it, uh, nor does it offer some questionable uh, medical benefit to you, like compressing uh, your legs or some sort of placebo-like pill. Uh, It's the Sonos Play One compact wireless smart speaker uh, for streaming music in black. I like the black ones, uh, Rog. A bargain at $199. Do you have Sonos, Rog? I love music. This Sonos system is so good. It works so well through the app. The sound out of these little speakers is fabulous. If you like this, go and buy more. Build a whole home uh, speaker network for your house. You can build surround sound around your television. Sonos is such a great product. As you know, I work for Sony. We're not paid anything by Sonos. I'll probably be fired for recommending Sonos as a Sony employee. But, my God, the stuff is fantastic. I do have Sonos, David. And I feel closer now, knowing that you... Do to, I feel as close to you as you do to me when you watch Cheryl Bloody Crow. Visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter, which we produce with our partner Guinness. You can follow us on Twitter at meninblazers, at embassy davies, at roger bennett, on Instagram at meninblazers, at embassy underscore davies, on Facebook at uh, meninblazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex Matombo? Explosure. NQOKD. Take that, Gloria. Is that your analysis? To Tweed! Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Dabo. Love your ranch. Awesome Venga. What is dead may never die.